This is Hunt Nebraska, the official podcast for insight into Nebraska's hunting and shooting sports community. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, our space for sharing stories, information, tips, and techniques. Now, Hunt Nebraska. Alright, welcome back. Episode 5 of How to Deer. We're going to get into some yes. tips and tricks and strategies and all that type of stuff, which is going to be fun. This is probably some of the more highly debated campfire material right here, guys. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. this is what I'm looking forward to. I really am. And, and a debate? Maybe. We'll see. We'll this, is, see. this is the meat and potatoes. Oh, this is where rubber hits the road. Hungry. Don't make me hungry. <laughs> wow, there you go, folks. If you have uh, joined us for the first four series uh, or episodes in this series, thanks for, for doing that. Uh, we're going to have some fun tonight. If this is where you're joining in, you're jumping in right now, make sure you go check out some of those earlier ones where we've talked a little bit about biology through the deer season. We talk about places to hunt. We talk about some of the rules and regulations. Uh, which are all uh, important to becoming a successful and consistent deer hunter. But tonight, uh, or today, I should say, we're talking about strategies to deer. Uh, make sure you jump over there to the uh, Facebook page, Hunt Nebraska. Give us a like. Uh, give us a follow. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you know when the next one drops and goes live uh, to the world. So here we go. Let's, let's talk about uh, strategies to deer. And let's talk first tree stands. A lot of folks up above in the trees hunting deer, whether it's archer season right now or as we get into the firearm seasons, it's it's a great spot to be. A lot of advantages uh, that we've kind of mentioned in some of our other podcasts. But what are you looking for? I mean, not all trees are the same. Uh, what are you looking for in that decision when you decide, I'm putting my tree stand here? Jackson, you go. I know you've been out there a couple of times. Yeah, you bet. So when I'm looking for a good tree stand spot, I, I start big, okay? Start with the, the property, the surrounding area, start to key in on where those deer are moving through, pick a pick a, an area, and then go walk it. See where those trails are at. Obviously, if you're bow hunting, you're going to need to be close to, a, uh, close to a trail, somewhere where those deer are traveling, a pinch point, something to funnel that activity. Um, and then as far as the specific tree, that's when it gets tricky. <laughs> that's when, you know, you want a straight tree. You want something with, uh, where you can, you know, depending on what kind of stand you, you go with, um, you may need a straight tree, like a climber or something like that. Um, but otherwise, you know, ladder stands make it pretty nice. You don't need that perfectly straight tree. So that's, it gives you an advantage there. Um, yeah. Well, and I know you use one of those slings <laughs> as well. Uh, I'm not sure. I think my sling days for deer are, are past. I don't think I ever had my sling days for deer. I don't think I ever got to my sling days. I know they're past, but I don't think I ever had them. I'm, I'm not well, thinking that was what I was going to do. What style of tree stand do you use the most? <clears throat> I like ladder stands. Ladder stands to me are just, they're comfortable, they're stable. I mean, they're all stable if done correctly, but they're comfortable, they're stable, easy to get in and out to. I, I remember some of the days where I'd use all kinds of different stands and I, I've just kind of, kind of settled on, on ladders and man, I tell you right now, yeah. And the older I get, maybe I haul more stuff up into the tree. I don't know, but there just seems to be room for my stuff. I, I like ladder stands. Yep. All right. Now, where do you usually put that ladder stand? Cause well, you know, moving a ladder stand is a little you, bit more I don't like to move. Yeah. You know, I like to put up enough stands to where I'm not having to move, but I will move them. <clears throat> Excuse me. If, if there's a need to move them, I'm one of those people that doesn't get, you know, comfortable with one spot. If I have to move my will, uh, but I also, after I've scouted my areas enough, I kind of know where they're going to need to be. And the habitat doesn't change much. So therefore my stand strategies haven't had to change much in, in some areas. Uh, when I look at an area, I, like Jackson said, he's right on, you get in there, scout the area. Of course it starts with the 
map online. Then I get down there to the ground, burn some boot leather and start looking at the area. But when I scout an area, you know, I look at that area and I think to myself, now how, how would a, how would I most likely see deer utilizing this area? And they're likely going to move from here down this corridor into this bigger area or out of this bigger area through this corridor back to the field or to the CRP or what have you. And and so I get in there and look, hone in those spots. Am I looking at bedding areas and, and feeding areas and where they're, where they're likely going to be uh, going back and forth to those areas or where a buck might just want to be, you know, flying through chasing does. And that's not random either. And so when I get down into those little spots, I start to see trails and all that. And okay, now, I kind of verified everything on the ground with the trails and I kind of know where they're going to be moving. And I can't tell you out of the five or six trails in this one draw, which one they're going to be using. But I then try to position my stand so that it doesn't matter when they come into that draw or they leave that bigger draw coming through this corridor. Um, any deer coming through that corridor, I, I position my stand to where I'd have a shot. And then it goes back to Jack. Now I'm looking for the tree. And I like the trees that don't have poison ivy growing on them. That's a no, no. I don't, I don't, I don't like to fight poison ivy anymore. Boy, that limits you in some spots. <clears throat> it really can. It really does. It really can. All right, real quick. Trails, bedding, feeding areas. Those are all three major spots for a deer. Every day, they, they're going to make use of that. Trails, bedding, and, and uh, feeding areas. So everything the same. You can find a tree. You can find a spot to get in and get out of. You can hang a, a stand or place a ladder, whatever it is. Which one are you going to be more likely to put your stand next to within range of? Trails, bedding area, or feeding. You can only pick one. Good question. Me, it's trails. I I don't care. I, I will hunt bedding areas sometimes or close to bedding areas. I don't usually go into bedding areas because if you screw up a bedding area, you might have screwed up an area. But uh, in feeding areas can be random, right? I mean, they can come out in, in the dark. They can come out in those feeding areas uh, in, in daylight. Uh, they can come out in different areas of the, of the field. And so, but those corridors that connect those together uh, generally are the more high ticket item for me to, to, when I'm finding deer. All right. Argue with that, Jackson. I, I, I can't argue too much, oh, okay. but I'll get a little more specific. So on my on my trails, I'm trying to find right off of the bedding in the what we refer to as transition areas. So where that deer, you know, we talk about how they go from bedding to feeding, and they do, but oftentimes they'll kind of hold up in these transition areas where the, the, the cover opens up a little bit. It's not as thick as that's, where they are in their bedding point. as where they are in their so, bedding areas, and they'll they'll kind of. So, hang out there right before they go out to and, feed. And not only can I not argue with that, but I'm going to add to it because oh, in the evening, there's those transition areas, you know, from the bedding area. The, the, I call them yarding areas sometimes where they're in, the, they're in the trees and they're waiting to go out into the field sometimes or they're picking around in the trees before they head out into a grain field. And a lot of times I've had better success not hunting the grain field on the edge, but back in the woods, maybe 50, 60 yards in an area that I know they're going to be meandering through or in till they go out in the field. Now, now, to point of reference here, we're going to look back at producer Kayla over here. I think I gave them three options, and they went with number four. We've added, we've added a few more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's insignificant, infor- in, insignificant information. We cheated. Uh, huh. Yeah, I think you did. I think you did. Though they both voted for trails at at first, and and betting to me has always been kind of that sacred. Don't bump them out of there. It needs to be. It needs they to be might di- go to a different farm. They might go to a different part. Still within their home range where they got to feel comfortable, with, especially with whitetails, is not as big as you think. But all of a sudden, it, it can shift them. You know, as humans, we see you know we see the uh, the boundary lines, and we op- we can tell properties where they change and and whatnot, and where we can access and and get to the deer. But deer don't see that. 
they, they see the whole landscape. So yeah. it's, uh, it, it's definitely a different way to look at it. Good point. All right. Now, you don't necessarily have to get off the ground to hunt deer, regardless of whether you're carrying a bow and arrow or a rifle or a muzzleloader or anything like that. Uh, and we talked about it in a previous uh, episode. Ground blinds have really kind of come into their own the last five, seven years, probably. Yes. And, and following some of the combines and some of the harvest across state, you'll all of a sudden you'll see these boom, these little blinds bopping up all over uh, out there, especially as we get uh, into November. Um, so, do you change your strategy at all if you're going to be hunting from a ground blind? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I don't do a terribly lot of, of hunting out of ground blinds, but the same kind of principles apply. Um, but your vantage point changes. So you you got to really think about where those deer are coming from and where you're going to be able to get a shot because you've, instead of being, you know, 15 to 20 feet up in a tree where you can see a considerable distance around you, now you got to think about where to place that blind um, where deer aren't necessarily going to notice it right away. You know, they're not going to key in on it. Like if you just popped it up in a field or on a field edge. Um, but then, yeah, you, you got to think about getting that shot and Okay, yeah, so, good, so yeah. a little bit of difference. Yeah, I don't change my strategy. I think, like Jack said, I just change where I put the, the blind location now. Uh, it will change for me. And generally speaking, I'm, I'm tree stand hunting when I'm bow hunting. Ground blind for, if I'm going to be on a ground blind, which I do a, a considerable amount of ground blind hunting, but it'll always be during the firearm or muzzleloader season when I'm in a ground blind. Uh, and so that changes your strategy even in itself because of the season and or the fact that I've got a little more range now. So I don't have to butt up so closely to a, uh, a trail within a travel corridor now. I can pull that ground blind out of the travel corridor and just watch the entire travel corridor because it doesn't matter if he's on this trail or that trail, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 yards difference doesn't really matter anymore to me. You can cover them both. <clears throat> exactly yep. right. And I go back to the days where, you know, you sat on a five-gallon bucket or you leaned up against a Shot tree. Shot a number of deer off a five-gallon bucket. <laughs> just uh, found a stump in there, and you kind of looked for that, like you said, the roll, Jackson, kind of getting up a little bit, still using some elevation uh, to be able to see a little further, and I, I kind of employ the, the same thing. All right, so we've got our, our blinder stand placed. Now we're going to get into some some other tips and tricks right here, folks, because one of the things that deer hunters constantly battle, regardless of, of how you're going to hunt them, is scent. And I thought you were going to talk hunger. I was like, you got it. That's a battle. Oh, no, scent. Yeah, scent just important. ate. I saw. I yeah. saw. Yeah. We were doing this after lunch for a reason. Um, but, you know, a deer's greatest defense is its nose. And fooling that is just tricky. And hunters, we always take that challenge on. We, we try to come up with a technique or something to, to help us out there do that. But it's still the one thing you probably have to think about some. And we talked about it before, nose to the wind. All right. But Jackson, I know you do a little bit more than just that. You, yep, you're not hunting with the wind at your back necessarily, but you're going to add a little bit more to hedge your bet on, on uh, scent control. I've done some experimenting. Um, last experimenting. year, last year I went above and beyond. Uh, I, I found that to really see any sort of, any sort of advantages when you're using like scent control products, you have to go to the nth degree to get any sort of small. So, what does that mean, the nth degree? What, what did you do last year? So, shower before I go out, scent-free okay. wash. Hygiene's uh, good. All my clothes are washed and dried outside. All uh, Before I go out, I, I've got an ozone bag. So, they were, they were <laughs> ozone. My, my boots live outside. Um, wow. My, yeah, I mean, it, it was so, above and beyond. Back up just a little bit. 
You wash your clothes outside. Sorry, I wash my clothes and then they dry outside. Okay. Yeah. Right, Scent free right. wash. I was, yep. I was thinking the old scrub board down by the creek. <laughs> you, I was gonna say if you live by yeah. a creek, you might get away with that. I don't know how you're doing that, but Eastern okay, Nebraska, that makes that's somewhat. crick. So yeah. crick. Uh, all right. I, and you, I assume you don't just go and, and grab the the uh, normal laundry detergent out of the the cupboard. You're no. probably using some type of non scented soap or Correct. detergent in there. Yep. All right. All right. Yep. And it's, yeah, you definitely, you have to go through the whole thing. My backpack lives outside, all my gear, um, you know, the scent sprays a little bit. I really believe that the, where you can make a difference is your boots. I, I think the, the, the place where people can key in on is your boots because your boots, you lay down a scent track as you walk through the field, as you walk through anywhere. And if you can minimize that, I think that's a win that you can make without making uh, a heck of a lot of effort. I, I got to agree there. I've gone to rubber boots, especially for bow hunting, and I have had less deer come across my trail and just freak out uh, with, with rubber boots, walk right on past your trail and, or, you know, come up your trail, whatever. So I'm, I'm on you. I'm, I'm agreeing with you on the boots. Yep. I boots. don't walk through like tall grass because any, any <clears throat> grass that touches you, you're going to leave some scent. Um, yeah. It's deer are amazing. I mean, you consider they've got better, a better sense of smell than dogs do by quite a bit by quite a bit mm -hmm. you're you're never going to beat them you're, you're never going to totally beat them what i think you can do and you know, like i said you have to go to the nth degree is you can keep them calm enough so last year i had deer where i can tell they're picking up my smell i can they're directly downwind and they're i can tell their their nose are picking up they're sensing something they don't like but it's like there's such little scent that it doesn't completely booger them Okay. All right. But like I said, it's uh, it's almost more effort than it's worth. Almost. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've seen some look there, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm now I the other spectrum, folks. The yeah. other end of the I was spectrum. Say, I'm I'm the same as Jackson. I've done some research too, and I concluded we stink. Yeah. And I can't make it. I can't come to any other conclusion. And so when it comes to my strategy, my number one strategy is nose to the wind. Yeah, and you lost me at ozone. I I got complicated fast for me. I but uh, nose to the wind. That and I I used to do a lot of that stuff. And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, bow hunting. I get that right. I I've I've been pretty fanatical when it comes to bow hunting. But uh, but in, and so if you ask a gun hunter or a bow hunter, it's not a fair comparison. No. But because uh, as a bow hunter, I can tell you that's not wasted in terms of controlling your scent but even when bow hunting um my number one strategy is nose to the wind and i don't know i know you do that too but i'm just saying all the things i've done uh i've never found a way to completely fool a deer's nose if he's downwind now if there's thermals keeping my scent in the air all the more better but i've never found a way to really mask that that uh, scent to where a deer can just walk right up wind of, you know right downwind of me so one of the big takeaways that I learned from an old coon hunter, actually, he ran coon dogs, is that the majority of your scent comes from your mouth, your breath, and you're, you're never going to be able to do anything about that. Yeah. And so even if, like I said, I go went hardcore and you're still never going to beat a deer um, because of your breath. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, I know we're, we're just all, you know, everything we do. Yes. We've got a, a scent that we don't pick up necessarily, that, no. but those uh, tuned in might, especially if your survival depends on it. The one thing I'll toss out there is time because your scent's only going to last so long down on the ground, unless it's coming from you, uh, your way in, your way out or anything like that. If you've got a question about it, just get out there a little earlier. 
because I know uh, with dogs, tests with dogs, which again, deer have better uh, sense of smell, more of an olfactory system uh, adapted for picking up even smaller amounts than, than hounds. But uh, that time is one thing that that scent on the ground disappears a little bit better. So stay later, go in earlier, whatever it takes to, to make that happen. So now in that same vein, I mean, it's a probably a multi-million dollar business is all the little scents out there. Doe and estrus, you know, buck tarsal gland, uh, doe pee, whatever you want to call it. How much do you guys use? I mean, Jeff, what, what do you, if somebody said, hey, Jeff, I'm getting into deer hunting, uh, and it has a question about those scents. What are you going to tell them? You know, and, and that's, again, you know, when I was in my 20s, I spent a lot of money on that stuff. I had, when they came out with those scent deodorant sticks that you could just swipe on a tree, I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing, right? Because I was really into that that stuff. Uh, today, not so much. I don't use a lot of scents. If I'm going to go out and I use a scent, and I still do this once in a while, uh, I use the old 35-millimeter film canister with a cotton ball inside, and I'll squirt some estrus scent in there and take that, and I'll have three or four of those maybe, and I'll take that to my stand, pop them open, sit them on the ground, and then head up to my stand. And, and again, like Jackson said, you will confuse them for a brief moment. And if that's when you're getting the shot, that's great. Then that's, that's, that's your whole goal. Uh, but, you know, it won't last long. And sometimes it can even work against you. But uh, you will confuse them for a little bit. And I think estrus, I've seen too many times where, you know, bucks came in with their nose looking for that scent, you know, and it's like, okay, you, 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 you can tell that was working. And so uh, I, I, I favor that, but all the other stuff, I don't, uh, I don't get too much into it. What about you, Jackson? Um, I mean, I've seen it work. I, I've, uh, it kind of depends on what you're after, what your goal is. I've, uh, I've never seen a large mature buck come into that. Um, but I've seen young and small bucks and does stick their nose right in a, a film canister, like Jeff said. So kind of depends on what you're after. Um, everybody's got different goals when they go out there and hunt. Personally, um, I don't use any attractant scents. See, I think it's one of those things that if you have confidence in it, why not? Yep. Yeah. Why not? You know, you're, you're not really you got nothing anything. but time. There, there are certain scents and things, cover scents, things like that, that just to me, I smell them and just like, oh, yep, yep, it's bow season. It's things are happening, that type of stuff. It doesn't happen to be that really pungent uh, can of, of dough urine by any means. No, it's going to get wet. But there's there are some others out there. But hey, if you think it's going to help. Why not? That's the beauty of deer hunting. Exactly. You know, mess I, around with it. But if you don't want to, hey, leave it at home. You know, you've got, you know, hours in the tree stand to second guess yourself, right? So, you know, if it's something that's going to make you say, man, I'm glad I brought that, then by all means do it. Uh, cover scents are another discussion. And I, they're a good idea until you get back in the truck. And when you get back in the truck and that cover scent's still on your pant leg or wherever, um, <laughs> that sometimes isn't a good idea anymore, especially when the heater comes on and you're, yeah, it's not, a, it, it can be bad. There you go. Well, I knew a guy. Uh, an older gentleman that believed in aqua velva. Now this is probably before your time. That was the old, what I think after shave or pre shave splash or something like that before he used the electric razor. Uh, and he swore up and down that it attracted deer of, of all types and all sizes and things like that. Now talking about scent after, I mean, that was probably a long discussion with his, his missus 
on why he was always coming home from the deer woods smelling of fresh aqua velva because he would go through that and slather it on not him but in canisters <laughs> yeah, and yeah, on cotton yeah, balls and yeah. things like that yeah. and uh unique scent to, to say the least well i remember years ago being at a, a basketball game husker basketball game and a gentleman came up behind me and he says hey you're the guy that did the predator hunting workshop years ago and i said yeah i am because i got a question for you because how do you get that skunk scent off your clothes and i said what and he said it's on my clothes it's in my truck my wife won't even ride in a truck anymore and i remember distinctly reminding him you put that stuff on film canisters right you know put that in, in film can not on you but uh so if you put that on you that's on you uh but uh you know there's there's a right way and a wrong way there's no question about it now before we switch gears here i do want to toss out we mentioned it in some other uh, of the earlier episodes so I usually have a little can of Windicator or something like that, a little powder stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys, I know, use milkweed fluff or cattail fluff or something like that because knowing which way that wind goes. Because getting on your phone or checking it on bef- on the computer before you leave or hearing it on the radio is one thing. But getting to your stand that just sits down below a ridge line or at the bottom of a field edge or something along a river or creek uh, doesn't mean that wind's coming from the west evenly or right. from the north or anything along those lines it swirls it moves it drops it comes up and down and i definitely like having that there just when i'm just making sure things are where sure. i need them to be Agreed. keep that that uh wind towards the, the nose for me and keeping those trails uh upwind all right so now we got to talk about we can see a lot of things here on the table for those watching on youtube attracting deer to us we talked a little bit about sense but sounds now deer aren't known for making a lot of vocalizations or being very loud like some of the other things we hunt ducks geese turkeys probably popping to mind the quickest but there are some sounds that deer make that can bring them to you especially as we get into the the beautiful time that we call the rut that magic yeah. time at the end of october and, and through the first couple <clears throat> maybe three weeks of, of november so we're going to start right here because i know this one's going to take the longest and that's rattling so we can get some of these antlers off the table in front yeah. of us so i don't knock them over so uh uh jackson i see you brought your rattling antlers I so like these. uh why don't you start because i know jeff's I mean, this is like a religion to Jeff as far as rattling. I gotta, I gotta get into character. You go ahead. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do some thinking here. <laughs> he just we'll knocked let Jeff, his microphone we'll, over. We'll let Jeff get ready here. You go ahead. You go ahead. Um, yeah, rattling. You know, imitating two bucks cracking antlers, fighting. Um, it, it deer do that. I mean, that that happens out there. If you ever see it, it is a sight to behold. Um, and yeah, it can attract deer, no doubt about it. It can, it can get any, you know, any age class of buck. Um, they come, they're curious because usually it means one, someone's fighting over maybe some, just simply some dominance, a pecking order or a hot doe. So another deer's coming in and looking, uh, see what exactly they're fighting over. Everybody loves a fight, don't they? Oh yeah. I mean, in well, high it's, school, it's exciting. It's exciting. College, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hockey games. I mean, that's, that's the whole part. I mean, there's rules, unwritten rules in hockey. That's what sells tickets. Rules. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's one of the fun things that goes on. And when you see it work it's amazing yeah i mean you but keep in mind it's not going to work necessarily right away the first time you do it it can but uh it might be something that after you've done it 12 times yeah. all of a sudden it's just like wow and this is i think one thing where all three of us and even kayla uh they're just off off camera off uh, microphone agrees that this is probably uh something that does work it really do you does. agree kayla does it work it, She's, she agrees. We yep, get, we gave right. an, I knew. Yep. I knew. So let's walk through it. We're, we're having a fight, but there's there's right ways to do it. There's 
ways that other people use and, and uh, doesn't seem to work a whole bunch. And I, you already deferring to Jeff. I'm already, already deferring to Jeff. He is, he's the, those he's those, the resident. Those look. Uh, he's the resident expert. Those look really nice. I have to be honest with you. Those are good, good looking pair of antlers. So walk us through this. Yeah, show. you know. And, and like you said, it it works sometimes, and so uh, and it works sometimes too good to where you can't pass it up. I won't leave I won't leave home without my antlers during the rut, and I don't rattle in October much. But when it gets into late October, early November, uh, I'm I'm pretty religious about rattling. And I'll tell you right now, uh, when I first get to my stand, whether it's ground blind or a stand, uh, I've had it work too many times to not believe that every time I crack these together, it's going to be a deer come running. That's what I'm used to seeing. Confident confidence you're right though one maybe 10 12 times it actually works but it doesn't take very many to go oh man there's something about this and uh, people get discouraged don't get discouraged because it will work uh and i'm going to back away here i'm going to show you how i start here uh first off when i get to the stand uh and get set up i don't rattle till i'm ready and that means i'm ready to take the shot i got my bow ready or my gun ready everything's got to be ready because when you start rattling and they come in and you're not ready uh you've you've wasted some time there so uh i start out with just a just a little clacking real gentle and then just pull them away and what i'm doing there is i'm trying to rattle but get their attention for those deer that might be within 100 yards or so that I can't see because I want them to, to, to not get spooked by the rattle, but I'm just, and, and, and just pull them apart. And, and I'll not many times I've had deer just come walking in uh, after I've done just that because they were real close by. And I've also learned to do that from spooking deer by going into an all-out brawl the very first time I rattled and had deer go tearing out of the woods. So I start by doing that. And then I, I, I wait and I look around, might get on the grunt tube, throw a few grunts. And then after I, after I let that happen a few times, uh, I'll get into an all-out brawl, depending on the season. If it's, if it's you know, just late October, I call what the lazy rattle. And I just... Because that's what they're doing. And I've seen this so many times where they just almost look like they're going through the motion, but they're really not trying to kill each other. It's just, you know, they're sparring almost. They're just trying to feel each other out, see who's the tough one, who's, 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 the, who's, the, who's the bigger rattler, what have you, and then, and then come apart. As we get into the rut, early November, middle November, man, I, I go into the brawl, and that's where I get these puppies together and crack them together real hard. And then I really start to put the, the rattle together. Now, they call it rattling. I call it more grinding antlers because it's what deer do. Deer don't sit there and just rattle their antlers. They grind them together. And so I try to get that grind together too. You got a head that's pivoting on an axis in all different directions. And so, you know, it's not it's not one-dimensional. It's, it's two big land mammals thinking and trying to get one up on the other. And as soon as they get the edge on each other, this one gets the edge uh, on the left side, for example. He doesn't just, you know, waste that opportunity. He really he really kicks it in gear, and, and those antlers sound like it all of a sudden. It gets really hectic. And then all of a sudden, the one on the right gets a little bit of the edge. He stops that deer a little bit, and he gets the edge, and he turns it back on him, or the fight gets a little tougher again because he doesn't have the edge anymore. And so you have to really vary it up so that it sounds real and, and, and has a cadence that's real. And after I'm done rattling for maybe 20, 30 seconds, because they don't sit and butt heads together, you know, for hours. I mean, that's just, they don't have the energy for that. You know, 20, 30 seconds, and then bring them apart. And when I bring them apart, it's not like they agreed to part ways on a certain time. It's reluctant. Grind those antlers. I rip them apart off uh, away from each other. And then I'll ditch the antlers, and I'll be ready to hunt, and I'll be looking for deer. Nothing. I might give it a minute or so, and I'll go right back into an all-out wall. 
and rip them apart. And I'll do that four or five times. And after I'm done, uh, put the antlers away and, and watch for deer. And they may come running in. They may come in 15, 20 minutes later. But they know there's deer over there. And if they're interested, they might be making their way over. Always have a plan where to ditch these things. On how many times I would look down, there's a big buck standing there. And I'm thinking crap i got these antlers in my hand i'd rather have a bow in my hand so have a plan to get rid of the antlers quietly so that you can take the shot too now folks jeff actually has a video on youtube where he goes into that a little bit more detailed uh, laid out from his clacking lazy rattling to his brawling and all that type of stuff <laughs> but i can smell those antlers rubbing together i mean that's how much enthusiasm especially for that all-out brawl that brawl that uh, you put out there Man, I can smell that over here. Oh, yeah, they're, 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 they're burning. Those I antlers are burning. completely expect there to be a couple of bucks waiting for us outside. <laughs> Don't open that door, leave. Jackson. Yeah. Do not open <laughs> that <laughs> door. That's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, you know, there's a right way, and there's probably a lot of wrong ways. But over the years, and I've played with it, and, and, I, and I have to tell you, I've, I've rattled with other hunters over the years, especially in my early years of deer hunting, and I saw some that never got deer. I mean, just never did. And I had others that, man, just like they were the luckiest guys in the world. And I kind of started piecing together what they were doing. But then when I started, seeing deer fighting at all different phases of the rut it started to click to me you know what what it should sound like and it should sound like the real thing and the more realistic you can make it the more opportunity you're going to have deer coming in one thing i'll point out there that the realism if you're in a tree stand your options are kind of limited for this but if you're on the ground thrash around yes good point thrash yeah. around you know you you need to if you've ever seen a deer fight it's not just antlers going yep. together yep. i mean it, i remember vividly i think it was about 2016 i found i was walking into my stand and i look around and it looked like a bulldozer came through this corner <laughs> and i realized what it was when i'm looking at the tr at finding tracks and stuff it was two big bucks and they, and tore, it they tore it yes. up yes that's a real good point very first buck i ever rattled in he came running into the woods and at about 40 yards he stopped inside the woods in front of my tree stand and there was a little cedar tree there and he just thrashed that cedar tree and it was a learning experience weirdest thing i ever saw but learning experience for sure and what it showed me was that you know he didn't want to fight he came in and he was just letting that deer know this is what I'll do to you if you don't back up and uh, and and it didn't work out for him but on the same token it was one of those things that I'll never forget that man they'll thrash trees they get frustrated they get mad they also would rather fight a tree than have to fight another deer because that <laughs> takes a lot of work right and uh, they're about two things keeping alive with as little food as they possibly can because they're chasing does all throughout that rutting period well and and just to reiterate this is something that uh like deer hunting i mean think about it it's one or two deer that you're you're hunting for all season uh that opportunity whether it's a doe or a bucket really doesn't matter there's a lot of patience there's a lot of waiting there's a lot of even when you're in good spots there's a lot of downtime so to speak uh rattling antlers when it happens it can happen fast or they can kind of mosey on in but it doesn't happen necessarily every time you rattle it's not like a video game or uh, what you see edited down to 10 or 15 minutes for a TV show or a video or anything like that. But when it happens, yeah, it's oh, just, oh, game man, on. Yeah. Excited because they do. Some of them are looking for that fight. Others are looking to watch. Others are just trying to, what's going on? Who's in, who's in here? Should I take it? Should I be nervous or should I not? Well, and you, you hit the nail on the head. Hershey age structure has a lot to do with it as well. You know, some of those more dominant bucks, those are the ones that generally come in really aggressive, just come running in sometimes before you even have a chance to put the antlers away. Uh, and then those bucks that might sneak in doesn't mean they're little bucks. It just means a lot of times those might be less dominant bucks. Usually it is smaller bucks or younger bucks that try to sneak in because they're curious 
but they don't want to be like in the center of the arena with the two bucks fighting because they've gotten their butts kicked already. They don't want to do that again. And so they'll sneak in. And a lot of times those are two and a half, could be even three and a half year old deer, nice big deer that sneak in and just, they don't want to fight. They just want to stick curious. Yep. And uh, so keep your eyes open because it can happen slow. Or like you said, they can just come charging in. There you go. Rattling good. Now, other actual vocalizations. I, you guys both have some tubes here. We're going to get into that. Bleats, grunts, uh, all sorts of different little noises they make. Those are probably the two most famous. Uh, the the grunt of what we often think of as a buck and the, the bleat call of, of does and, and fawns and things like that. So let's start with the grunts. How often do you guys use grunts? Only when I see a deer. Only when you see a deer. All right. I don't. I will. I will blind rattle sometimes. I will not blind grunt. It okay. just. I've never seen it work. But if uh, I've had it happen many times, where I'm seeing a deer, a buck, usually at a hundred, hundred and fifty yards, if it's not windy, and uh, he's not coming in my direction. He's coming parallel to me. Sometimes going away, but usually paralleling me. And uh, and to get it into that bow range, uh, grunt at him. And what do you can... do? Show us. You got your tube. Let's see this. So that's just kind of a lightly aggressive contact grunt. And you can get more aggressive depending on you can take the deer's temperature. If it's a younger deer, he's not going to want to hear you know Mister Big grunting at him. He's gone. Um, or vice versa. If it is Mister Big and he's hearing another one, you know that may work out for you. So you kind of got to take their temperature. You can see how they react to it right away. If they don't react to it, they don't care. But if they stop and look, they're they're interested. And it's amazing. I, I know that deer have really good hearing, but when they do hear it, it perks their interest. I mean, it boom, they stop. Mm-hmm. The deer start moving around. They try to zero in on on where it is. They know the general idea of where it is, but uh, oftentimes they're listening for just one more. And if they're looking at you, don't call. Don't call. Don't yeah. call. They will zero in on you before you can do anything. Uh, just like rattling yep. i know i've busted he, he it when they're looking truth. at me he yeah. speaks truth here if if that deer if that deer looks at me waits a second and then puts its head back down or goes to do what it's doing then i hit him again then you hit him again same thing same thing trying a different grunt so you typically the same thing all right I give that it. again yeah you know it's, it's a lot like calling predators if they're doing what you want to do lay off the call if they're not doing what you want to do give them give them something get a reason to turn and come to you and but when they're coming lay off the call all right. What other grunts do you use, Jeff? You know, uh, this one here, I, I and this is this is not the one I normally use, unfortunately, but it, it'll sound okay. Where? But this is this is one I found in, in my pack. But anyway, uh, just the, the the contact. And when you're doing grunts, one thing to keep in mind is it's a very guttural sound, right? They're not just you know it's not just coming out of the top of their mouth there; it's coming from deep down. And so you know it's it's more of a you know and so. And I use my hand a lot of times to kind of to open that up. I like to keep them short. I do believe the long, you know, longer grunts are just a little more aggressive. So short grunts are contacts, and longer grunts are a little more aggressive. Okay, all right. And 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 so you know, it just depends. Like Jackson said, temperature of the deer. If the deer, if the deer uh, looks like something that might be a little bit concerned by a longer grunt, then contact grunts. A lot of times, we'll just let them know there's buck in the area. You know, you, you want to come over, come over. Uh, you know, 
when deer are chasing does, uh, they get winded. They get the, to the point where they're just walking around on a, on a trail of a doe. They're using their scent, like you said, Hershey. So they're, they're on the trail of that doe. They know they're going to find her at some point. It isn't like they're, they're, they're freaking out that she's, she's left the county. So they're on that trail. And as they do, they're taking that step, step, step. And I've literally heard deer walking by. It's about that loud, too. I yeah, real, real low, uh, faint. You know, and, and, and so uh, I, when I, I sometimes have thrown that in as well, but agree with Jackson 100%, I called at deer, not call blind, because I don't want deer to just go scent me. And I got to say, the deer, when they're making the grunt sound, it's pretty quiet. Sometimes it's almost, did I just hear what I thought I just heard? Yep. Oh, yep, yep. That's a grunt. And when, when folks get that grunt tube, sometimes I think one of the uh, things a lot of us try to do is overblow uh, through that tube because we're used to, you know, calling turkeys or geese or something like that, which takes a lot of Good point. Uh, volume. And, and this doesn't do that a whole bunch. I also like, uh, I don't see it on yours quite uh, like I do on Jackson's, Jeff, where it's got the adjustability to make yeah. it deeper, make it uh, a little bit uh, higher pitched or what have you. And I think your normal yes, call has yeah, that, if would. I remember right. So you can do bleats and you can do grunts and you can do deep grunts. You can do uh, higher pitch grunts, not bleats, but actual grunts again, but higher pitch, younger deer. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, I've seen, I've, I've grunted to deer. Uh, and, you know, years ago, all you had was one tube, no way to really vary the pitch. And so I remember grunting to deer many times and mature bucks and turn around and just run like heck to get out and just leave that area. And it was like, you know, something I said. I mean, what was it? And uh, the reality of it was, you know, they they probably have had their butts kicked recently. And so they heard that grunt and it sounded pretty deep, pretty scary. And they decided, I don't need any of that. And they just left. And uh, a more dominant buck might come right into that. But sometimes I like to back off with adjust it with to a higher pitch grunt as Jackson was alluding to and uh, and make sure that uh, they have an opportunity to not get too scared of that deer. On the other hand, you know, too high pitched a grunt. It might sound like a deer that's not threatening to that buck, and he may just ignore it. Like, oh, that's just that one young whippersnapper. I don't care if he's in the area or not. So, you know, again, I can't. Jackson hit the head and didn't nail on the head. You know, take the temperature of the deer and react accordingly. Now you mentioned bleat. We got to jump there uh, in the time we have left. Uh, Jackson, I know your call probably does a little quicker than than Jeff, so we'll we'll bug you. A bleat. When do you use it? What does it mean? Uh, what does it sound like? So a bleat is a doe. To me, it's a doe bleat. So it's uh, either a doe or a fawn. And again, you're just getting higher in pitch. So um, for me, like a simple doe bleat is like this. Sounds like a calf. Yep. Yeah. And you can you can even draw it out more. So something like an estrous bleat. You, you oh, see the cans and stuff like estrous? that. Okay. Yeah, they just sound more pleading. Like, come, come over here, basically. That can, you guys have all seen the can. That's an estrus bleed. A little more, blah, blah. And I know it sounds silly, but that's exactly what that, that can does the same thing. It's an estrus bleat versus just that, that, but, but, that bleat that, that those will get out. And so that was good, Jackson. So when do you that guys use it? When do you use a bleat? I'll, I'll be honest, I've never used a bleat during the rut, which is probably when you should. <laughs> the only the only time I've used it with success was one of the cans, and it was during muzzleloader season, and I had a fawn in my lap in about 30 seconds. I mean, really? it literally about ran me Thought over. Thought was there. Huh? Yeah, literally about ran me over. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, if I don't, I won't 
call blind, but I will bleat blind. I will I will throw some bleats out there because when those bucks come into a bleat, sometimes it's kind of like rattling. I don't think they're you know sniffing around or much. They're just they heard that sound. They're nearby. Just come jogging gonna, in sometimes. Gonna check it out. Yeah, I will yeah. say I know some folks that have used uh, bleats, especially like you. We mentioned that can that you just turn upside down and, and right side up to make the noise uh, early on early in the season with success with does uh during the rut i would say it probably works against you if you're got an antlerless tag because does are now not only trying to stay away from predators there's a lot of does that aren't in estrus and they're trying to stay away from bucks yep. so if they hear another doe giving a bleat they're thinking oh so do the bucks so do those little bucks that are just gonna chase me for no reason and uh, i think they kind of avoid that yeah, I'd agree. Times. And maybe later it gets back, especially as those fawns are trying to get back to mom after after the rut and that type of stuff. All right. Any other calls you guys you use? Know, well, I was going to say, what's what's funny is people don't think of calling when they're doe hunting with an antlerless nope. tag. They don't think of calling very often. Nope. And like, you know, Jackson was alluding to, when that, that bleat, especially a fawn bleat, can just be killer on bringing does running. I've had does run in and circle my stand, just like run around in circles uh, looking for that fawn because I put out a fawn bleat or a little bit of distress to that bleat. Uh, and all of a sudden that doe just zips right in. And so it can be a great tool when you're antlerless tag in your pocket. Good point. Good point. What other calls do you use? What other vocalizations? The only one I've used before is the snort wheeze. The snort wheeze. Snort I see wheeze. you got this extra. Yep. It's got the extra on little top. bell on top. So give us there. an example of that. So it's a three note and it's like almost out of their nose. It's like a blowing sound. So it's not like an, an alarm doe blowing, which I know we've all heard, but it's, it's aggressive. It's like, <sighs> So it's it's a buck and it's basically a middle finger. It's 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 huh. basically it's like don't show that. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. We might be on on YouTube you're, right now. You're gonna get, show. You're gonna get show. one of two reactions, <laughs> and it's it's either really like, good or really bad. Like the middle my, my truck finger. tires made that sound a few times. It didn't turn out good, but anyway, so I'm familiar with the sound. I that's that's like a guy. Yeah. yeah. What did you just say to me? Yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's meant to work with the the more dominant bucks. Yes, that, oh, that last little slap in the face. Mm-hmm, exactly. All right, all right. There's some, some neat things out there. I know we don't have time to get into all the different calls, so we've got just a couple minutes left. Other tips, other tricks that you have for new hunters or those that have just been doing it for a short time on any strategy, anything that you go to the woods with, anything that you use, anything you use. I know there's a camera right over here, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's start there. But uh, so other got to have up your sleeve. I'll, I'll, I'll do two things before we end here. One is trail cameras. I do love using trail cameras. I love to know what's out there. Um, I'm from basically July through them shedding their antlers in the spring. I'm running trail cameras. I think you can learn a lot from it. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to go checking that trail camera every week. This is something that you need to leave there. Let it soak, let it get some data for you and then use it. And the other thing is every time you see a deer, when you're hunting, you should be thinking, why, why is that deer doing that? Why is that deer there? What is it doing? Think about the time of year. Think about bedding to feed, you know, try to figure out, have a thought process of why that deer is doing what it's doing. And that'll tell you, you can learn a lot. You should be out there learning every time. I think a lot of people see a deer and they just think, cool, there's a deer. I saw a deer today. That's great. If you can break that down and start to really analyze, deer don't do random things. During the rut, uh, maybe. They still got a purpose. They still have a purpose. Great point. And so if if you can start to break that down, you will learn a lot faster than the average hunter. There, I like it. 
I like it. I like it. What was number two? Oh, that wasn't sorry. Trail cameras were one. Oh, and then okay. Yeah, uh, try right. to try to refer to number what the, one. Yeah, yep. Trail cameras <laughs> number right. one, and that could be a whole podcast. But good. Um, I like. Yeah. That. And then just learn. Try to think about what that deer is doing. Yeah. Why? That's, why is that deer here and now? I don't know if you're going to be able to top that one, Jeff. Well, I'm just going to say persistence. It got me married. It got me a lot of a, a number of deer over the years. Be persistent, and if you're persistent, things will work out. Now, I've heard people tell me uh, that you know I've rattled before and didn't really work for me. I guarantee you, they haven't spent 15 to 20 mornings in a season rattling like I have. If they do that, that's persistence. Now, if you spent 15 mornings rattling and never seen a deer come in, I'd say yeah, there's probably something we need to talk about, but persistence is key and if you're out there yep bow season you're rattling you know and then right gun season you're rattling and uh, i guarantee you're going to start to see things and 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 then you're persistent you pick up on what you learn and you you adjust and learn from those things but uh too many people i've talked to oh yeah it doesn't work for me it's never worked for me and it's like you know they've been hunting you know a year or two and it's like well, you don't know if it's worked for you. You got to put some time into it. And so persistence is key. Get out there, try tactics, be persistent about it. And, uh, it will work. And know? don't, and don't kick yourself when you screw up. Oh, you're going to screw you're up. Go, everybody, yeah, yep, and if yep. you can't laugh at yourself, you're already at, you're already at backs against the wall because you got to be able to laugh at yourself. Cause you're going to do dumb things. You're going to spook deer. Deer do dumb things. Mm-hmm. Turkeys do dumb things. I can tell you stories about dumb things. They've done the young day story about dumb things I've done too, but be, you know, if you're afraid of making mistakes, you, you need to change your attitude yep. because it really is about making those mistakes and then learning from them. And over time, you're going to have less mistakes, more successes, learn from those successes and keep moving on. But I've made some blunders that I mean, I walk out of there going, what in the heck was I thinking? Yep. And then you walk away going, okay, but I won't do that again. And uh, I'll try something different. And then the times it works, you go, was that blind luck or was it? And then go back and it works again. You're like, okay, I'm on to something here. Twice in nature, I'm on to something. So be persistent. It'll pay off. There you go. And don't forget, folks, you can see the Rawlinson Rattling Method all described there on our YouTube page for Hunt Nebraska. So check that out. He gives you a play-by-play, step-by-step uh, scenario of, of how to rattle and, and be good at it. So, hey, that kind of wraps this part up. So, uh, folks, if you've got questions, jump onto that Facebook page, type them up uh, on more strategies, techniques, or anything that you have there, because that is our site for getting out good information. That's Hunt Nebraska on Facebook. And don't forget to give the uh, podcast a like as well and subscribe so that you know when the next one drops, because the next one, that's when it all comes together, guys. Holy bleep, I got a deer. When success follows you out there, you're persistent, you put those tricks to, to use, and you connect on a deer we're going to talk about that more next time uh, so we'll see you on the next side hunt nebraska brought to you by your nebraska game and parks commission